Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. We pray this morning that you would speak, not me or not any voices in our own minds or hearts as we sit here this morning. Lord, we pray that you alone would be the one who teaches and instructs and changes us this morning. And I pray that you would do all this by the power of your spirit for the glory of your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you would stand with me, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 this morning. I just please pay careful attention as we read God's word together. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. <clears throat> he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice 
And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would write it on our hearts this morning, that you would change us by it, and that you would send us out as a renewed people who are excited and thankful for who you are and what you've done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. And before we get started, if you have any children between the ages of four and eight, I forgot to mention this. I don't know if it was announced when I was out of the room, but um, we're having a class for them downstairs during the sermon time twice a month. So that's this month as well. So if you have anybody that wants to go down for that, you're welcome to send them now. All right. So just a quick show of hands. How many of you like action adventure type movies, books, that kind of thing? Okay. A lot of people um, like, you know, the Marvel movies, Indiana Jones, Gladiator, Die Hard, like anything in between, right? We, we tend to really like those types of stories. Um, and why is that? Why do we get pulled in to those things? I think a lot of it has to do with just the nonstop, like, take your breath, fly by the seat of your pants, like action, right? It's like there's always something going on, always something happening, always something <clears throat> to capture our attention. And so we can't really look away, or we can't look away from the screen or the page if we're reading a book or you're watching one of those types of movies. Um, we're completely captivated by those types of plots, um, and the book of Acts, as you may have seen in the past 11 weeks as we've been in our study of it, has a lot in common with those types of movies and books, doesn't it? You could say that it's action-packed. No, I got my jokes. <laughs> um, so there's a lot going on in, in this book, right? And we've seen that up to this point. But just think about it for just a moment, if you think of the past several weeks, from the opening phrases of the book, Luke is detailing a true story that's unlike any other story, right? There's not quite a comparison that you can make in literature or popular culture or anywhere else, right? This is very unique um, and very full of a lot of intense activity, right? And we, we're, we're enamored with the action. People love the book of Acts. It's exciting for, for the church, for Christians, and for good reasons. We should be excited about that. Uh, we love it. And now more than ever before, I think it just kind of speaks to how human beings really live for that type of excitement, right? That, that thrill of, of things going on and things happening, whether it be from going to one vacation to another, from one house to another, from um, just traveling place to place, just living for those experiences. You, know, you just hear more and more about that in the news, uh, especially lately where people are selling their homes and taking a three-year cruise or moving to another country where it's much cheaper to live just for the experience of it all and to have more and to do more, right? So we're, we're people that love experience. And, and the book of Acts really speaks to that um, in a unique way that, that pulls us in. Um, and, and so first, just wanted to start there. You know, we really, we love those awe moments. And, and that really is because we can't slow down as, as human beings, right? We don't know how to stop. We don't know how to smell the roses or digest a good story. We really just love these types of action-packed um, types of, of plot lines. And so the events in our passage today uh, seem to unfold a lot like that, right? Um, as I was preparing this week, I came across a quote from an author named Robert Kara. 
And he says of the text that the book of Acts, and he's kind of giving us a description of what it is, right? So the book of Acts is a theological interpretation of the history of the first three decades of the early church. So there's history here in the narrative, in the story, the first three decades of the church's history. Um, And in that history, it begins with the ascension of Jesus from the Mount of Olives and ends with Paul in Rome under house arrest, preaching the kingdom of God. In addition to the breadth of geography, the narrative includes many miraculous and exciting events, like what we're talking about today. And those include healing, speaking in tongues, prison breaks, mass conversions, martyrdom, riots, persecutions, shipwrecks, and appearances before high officials. Right. So there's a lot of action in the book of Acts. There's, there's a lot to see. There's a lot to, to read through. There's a lot to understand about all that God is doing. And we're not going to be able to cover every bit of that in our text today. Um, but all that to say is, it can be too easy for us to look at these events and, and just be wowed by them, and they just seem kind of like a distant thing that's detached from, from us and our real lives. And that's what I don't want us to do this morning, right? We can, we can be in awe of all that God did through the early church. We should be in awe of all that God has done through the early church, um, and particularly through the apostles. But as we come to our text this morning, let's not simply be amazed by the acts of our God in the past, back then, Um, Let's be equally amazed by his actions and his heart among us today. And so as we're we're working our way through this passage, let's keep that at the front of our minds. If you're taking notes, um, one of the the main idea of our passage is really that the power of our covenant-keeping God is on display as his people faithfully follow him. So say that again. The power of our covenant-keeping God is on display as his people faithfully follow him. As the people of God living in the world, there are also three things we should long for the world um, to know and to see, right? And, and we see it in this passage. So there, there are three, three unique things. We see God's power on display through signs and wonders in verses 12 through 16. We see his power on display through the proclamation of his word in verses 17 through 32. And we also see God's power on display through the perseverance and the preservation of his people in verses 33 through 42. Um, and if you notice, I've tried to keep with some of the, the P alliterations that the Josh had us going on um, for the first several weeks. So you'll hear a lot of that uh, throughout, throughout the sermon as well. Um, but as we, as we get started, let's, let's focus on this first point. So God's power on display through signs and wonders. To give you an idea of where we are, as our text opens up, let's go briefly back to Acts 1.8. If you remember that, you probably remember it off the top of your head. If you've been a Christian for any, any length of time, um, that really outlines the trajectory of the book of Acts for us and also gives us a, a sense of place for our text that we're going to be in. Um, in Acts 1.8, Jesus is saying to the apostles, just moments before his ascension into heaven, right? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the the end of the earth. And so we can kind of see this storyline play out already, right? In the past few weeks as we've been in the book, we've seen the Spirit, the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. It's come upon God's people. Um, And what we've seen after that is the ministry of the apostles in Jerusalem. So before they're going from place to place before they're going out from Jerusalem, we're still kind of looking at their ministry in Jerusalem. So that, that's where we are. That's where um, our geography is, if you're wondering. Because, you know, as, as we already said, 
Acts covers a lot of geography. So there's a lot of action, but that action takes place kind of all over the place. Um, and so right now, for the moment, we're in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so specifically, we're at the temple complex, right? At, at Solomon's portico. And if you don't know what a portico is, or maybe you've seen pictures of kind of the temple complex at the time, it's almost like a row of columns, like a colonnade that's in front of the big open space. There'll be people going and coming from that area. And so this was a an area where a lot of traffic existed, right, in Jerusalem. And so this was a, a, a common place where the apostles did their, um, did their work, did their ministry. And so that's, that's where they were, a very, very public setting. So think, it, think of it that way. Um, they would have seen the crowds, you know, throughout, throughout their time there. So a few things to note um, is the, the miraculous things, the scripture tells us, that they were doing were regular occurrences, Right? This was not an uncommon thing to see the apostles ministering here and things happening. God is doing things um, where they are. In verse 14, uh, Luke says, Now more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. God was pouring out his spirit. Right? He, was, he was doing something big. That's how we would, we would think about it. Right? When we look at this, it's like, wow, God's really working. And he was. He's, he's changing people. He's, he's adding them to the Lord. I love the way Luke says that. Not that he's adding them to the church, but he's adding them to the Lord. Like they belong to the Lord now. Multitudes of men and women. And God was pouring out his spirit, transforming their lives. And that's something we like reading about, right? We love these types of stories, right? This is exciting. This is something that helps us to get reinvigorated in our love for God. And it should, right? But we can hear these things. And I think the danger here for us especially in our time and in our place, and then the fact that we're not in Jerusalem at the temple complex right now. I think we can hear these things, and there's a big disconnect that springs up in our hearts. Right? We might say things like, I wish the Lord would work like that again. Or can you believe that? That's so exciting. Right? And other people might even say, you know, that was then. That was how the church was in the early days, and this is what it is now. Like we're trudging along, and it's hard and slow and discouraging. <clears throat> um, but... I would submit to you, and what I really hope we can see in the text, is that the Spirit of God is no less powerful in 2023 than it was in the New Testament. Right? What God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension was really just the beginning for the church. Right? It's, it was the beginning of what God was doing among his people um, in the New Testament. It wasn't the conclusion. Right? It, was, it was the beginning of something exciting, of a new age. Um, in Christ, with him ruling and reigning over his people. Um, and, and just to give us some perspective, remember um, back in Genesis 12, the Lord tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the same story, right? Not a new story. The New Testament isn't the beginning of something different God is doing in, in the way of his covenant with his people, right? This is the same covenant promises. God is still establishing a people for himself. That's why at the temple complex here, he's adding multitudes of men and women to himself, right? Because he's working. He's active. Um, and, and that's part of his covenant keeping to his people. He's not going to stop doing that. He's not going to stop growing and building his church. And we can be excited about that as we read it in the scripture, and we can also be excited about it now because that's true of what he's doing right now among us. 
God is keeping his promises to his people. And in our text, he's doing it through the ministry of the apostles. These signs and wonders that they're doing may look a little bit different than what we see God doing today, right? The, the signs and wonders God's doing today, we might not call that. And maybe we should. Maybe that would help our perspective um, be a little more accurate. You know, because I think we can, we can miss what God is doing right here among us by looking out at what he is doing somewhere else across the street or what he did in the New Testament, for instance, or what he did in Daniel in the fiery furnace, right? But, but it's the same God. We serve the same Lord, and we belong to him in Christ. So this is our story in as much as it is the apostle's story here, and, and we should be excited about that. And, and for instance, just think about the friend or family member that you might have prayed for for years, that they would come to know the Lord. And then one day they do. Maybe that had nothing to do with something you did, right? Maybe you witnessed and witnessed to them and nothing happened. But then one day, like God opened their eyes and they became a believer. Um, that's signs and wonders in our, in our time, in our day, right? That's, that's the Lord at work, growing his people. Or just think about just people in this room, all of our different collective stories, all the journeys that we're on, how God has worked in our lives and given us faith, how he's grown our families, how he's given us his family, the church, signs and wonders. That, that's what this is, right? And as, as we sit here this morning, let's not miss that we're a part of something that God is doing in, in a real way, in the real world, in our real hearts and minds. <clears throat> um, and, you know, these are just small examples from Living Stone, right? We could go on and on. Any, any person you meet who's a believer has some type of signs and wonders type story to tell, even though it might not be grand or might not look like something out of the book of Acts. The fact that the Lord speaks and dead hearts wake up, that's signs and wonders. And, and I think we just can't forget that as we read, read through um, any part of Scripture, right? God is, God is active. He's not, he's not sleeping. <clears throat> so our God is so alive and so active in the world around us, and he doesn't want us to miss that, right? Don't, don't have your gaze shifted somewhere else. I'm thinking about what he's doing among us and our hearts and our families and our marriages and, and our, our church, right, in our community. Let's not miss those things. Because if we do, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss what he's doing. We're going we're gonna to miss those really glorious acts of God that seem, might seem so mundane, but there's so much more, more to them. And if we don't miss them, if we're really attuned to what the Spirit is doing around us, um, as he was um, in, our, in our text. Uh, we're going to be filled with joy. We're going to be filled with praise for God. We're going to want to be a part of what he's doing. Right? It's going to renew our sense of purpose. I think so often Christians can be the curmudgeons of society, or at least that's a stereotype. You know, we can not want to have fun. We can be the first to complain, um, the quickest to point out other people's faults, faults and, and popular culture, right? That's kind of what people think of us, but let's not be like that. Let's give them every uh, reason, give the world around us every reason to see something different, to see a people who've been changed by the gospel, who are excited about what God's doing and who want to live in such a way that other people want to be a part of that. And so that's, that's our first point. So we're seeing God's power on display through signs and wonders, and that's getting people's attention, right? And in Jerusalem, people are paying attention to what the apostles are doing in the previous passage last week, 
you know, a lot of really intense things happened, right? Ananias and Sapphira, like, dropped dead. That got people's attention. Um, but they didn't leave the apostles alone, right? Maybe some people kept their distance, but they did pay, start paying closer and closer attention to what they were doing and what they were talking about and what was happening um, as a result of the Spirit's work. And so that's, that's point number one. The second thing that I want us to see is how God's power is on display through the pro- proclamation of the word. So in verses 17 through 32. And, and to illustrate this a little bit about what's happening, um, I went to a really big college, and we had a really big football stadium. And on Saturdays before the home games, the announcer would always give, like, the weather report. You know, it's 60 degrees outside, partly cloudy. But then he would get to this part where he would say, chance of rain, and all 100,000 people in the stadium would say, never. So nothing could go wrong. Like, it could only go our way, right, in Tiger Stadium. There was 100% zero chance we were going to lose. We were, everything was going to be great. <clears throat> but sometimes that is not how it played out, right? Sometimes things did go wrong. Sometimes the refs did just have a, a game full of bad calls, right? And, and we would panic. We would get mad. The crowds would get a little vicious, right, when things didn't go our way. It could get violent. People could throw things. Um, and, and so these are like two sides of a coin I want us to see here. Because you're going to see two very different responses um, between God's people and um, the officials in Jerusalem. So as we are seeing the Lord move in Acts, and as he's moving in our own day, um, there is a 100% chance that we're going to be opposed, that we're going to face persecution. And that's going to look a lot of different ways, right? Sometimes it may be very intense, like when we think of the persecuted church around the world. Or here, it may just mean Smaller inconveniences for us, at least for the time being. But it will happen. There's a 100% chance, as we are seeking to know and love and follow Jesus Christ, that we'll be opposed, we'll be persecuted. And we see that among the apostles here. Um, And also, just like we see um, in our Old Testament passage with King Nebuchadnezzar, those officials who feel opposed um, have a very violent reaction right to that. Nebuchadnezzar, it says in Daniel, was furious. It just keeps talking about how angry he was um, and how he was making the fire hotter and hotter because he was so mad. I think it really matched probably how he felt. Uh, But then here with the high priest and the officials, uh, we see how jealous they were at all that was happening around them. Right? They they responded negatively. It was almost like a you're missing what God's doing because you weren't in control, right? They wanted to be in control. They wanted to be the people who everyone looked looked to and followed. And they weren't seeing that, right? They were seeing the masses get behind this ragtag group of people who had been with Jesus, who they thought they had stamped out not that long before this, right? And so they're probably having a serious sense of, of have we, haven't we done all this before? We've been through this with, with another teacher. And they just can't seem to get rid of his teaching, right? And so in their negative response, right, the, the officials put... <clears throat> the apostles in prison, and they were going to be put on trial. And we also see that happening already to Peter. If you go back to Acts 3 and 4, he got in trouble with the officials already for for healing, right? And they told him to stop. They had a confrontation about that. And then here we are again. Instead of Peter, it's all the apostles that are doing this. (laughs) 
And so that infuriates the, you know, the high priest, the Sadducees. They, they want some type of justice. They want to snuff this out before it becomes something bigger. Um, and likely they're really thinking about what happened with Jesus. Um, and, and so the high priest is m- missing the reality of what God's doing right in front of his face. Right? God is doing a work unlike anything that the world has seen. And the officials in the temple are missing all of that. Um, because they are focused on themselves, right, and their own authority and their own own power. So let us not be like that. You know, again, as I said before, let's not miss what God's doing right in front of our face, because he is at work. He is doing things. And so once the apostles were in prison, we see, as as the verses go on, something amazing happens, right? And it's very reminiscent of our Old Testament reading in Daniel. An angel of the Lord appears, And he opens the prison, and he brings out the apostles. But that's not all he does, is it? He doesn't just kind of turn them loose, and then they go their own way. He breaks them out. He doesn't really break them out. (laughs) He just lets them out. Um, And then he gives them some important instructions. He says, go and proclaim the word. And then what do they do? They they do that. They they go instantly. We, We see them say The angel of the Lord says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So the angel of the Lord who lets them out says, go preach the full counsel of God to the people. Let them hear my word. And then when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So you just see this instant obedience on the part of the apostles. They were eager to do God's, God's will. They were eager to obey. They weren't begrudging. They weren't hesitant. Um, They were, they were excited to do um, what he had said. And that's because they have been seeing the incredible ways he's been working among them, right? They knew they could trust this God who heals the sick, who brings dead people to life, right? Who from a person's shadow can bring healing, right? They've watched all these signs and these wonders happen. um, And that wasn't all just for them to puff themselves up. They knew that it wasn't of them. They knew that this was all the work of the spirit and they knew that they could trust what God was telling them to do. And so they, they went, and they, I like how Luke lets us know that they entered the temple at daybreak. So they went at the beginning of the day so they could maximize their time, and they proclaimed the word to those who were there. <clears throat> so as we've seen elsewhere in, in Scripture, and particularly through the life and the ministry of Jesus, um, a little arrest was not going to get in the way of God's plan. Right? It wasn't going to thwart what he was doing in this great redemptive story. And it wasn't going to be stopped now. So there's a theme for us as we're reading this. If you're a Christian, I, j- I hope as you're reading through the Bible and as we're reading through Acts, you just see over and over how God is faithful, God is powerful, we can trust him. And just almost just repeat that those three words in your head. You know, He's faithful, he's powerful, we can trust what he's doing, <clears throat> no matter what. And that's consistent with what we're seeing in our text today. One commentary also mentions that Luke um, depicts the Sanhedrin, so these officials that the apostles were coming before, as foolish. It almost makes them look a little dumb in this story, is what this commentator said. And I'm tempted to agree with that, I think, because you see just the power and the authority that the apostles have as they are ministering um, through the Holy Spirit. And then you see all that's happening as a result of that, just leaving the officials dumbfounded. They don't even know how to respond. Their, their guards don't know how to respond. In verse 22, it says, 
when the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. And they let the officials know, you know, there was no one inside when we went to check the jail. And it says, the chief priest heard these words and were greatly perplexed, wondering what this would come to. And it's just like, you're just confused. It's like, what? What's happening? Similar to Nebuchadnezzar, right? If you go back to our Old Testament passage, how are there four people in the fire? Like, how is no one burned? I don't understand. You know, and so you see kind of this flip side of a coin where God's people are, are going out in faith and trusting and embracing whatever it is he's calling them to do. Um, and as those who are opposed to the Lord watch those same things, their takeaway is just something so different. It's like, you don't understand what's happening. You don't understand that it's God moving. <laughs> you're, just, you're just confused. <clears throat> and, and some interesting things happen in this section. So as, as they do um, go and realize that the prison's empty, verse 26 says that the captain of the officers then went to the temple where the apostles were, where they were teaching, and went to bring them back to the officials. But he says that he doesn't get them by force, right? It's almost like trying to not make a scene, encouraging them to come with him, because it says they were afraid of what the people might do. So you also see a difference here in the courage and the boldness of the apostles because of the God they serve, and then just the fear and confusion, right, of, of the officials, and whether they be the, the temple officials or their guards, you know, the, the police, so to speak, who are coming to get them. Um, people didn't want to stir anything up. They were afraid of what, what was about to happen. So I just think it's interesting, those things that Luke draws out for us um, so that we can see those key differences because they're, they're stark, right? <clears throat> And then the high priest tell them, as we get into verse 20, 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. We told you this already, not to do this. What are you doing here again? Um, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Right? And so they remind the apostles, you've been expressly forbidden from preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, and yet here you are. And then the apostles respond, Similar to how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego responded. Um, quite simply with, we must obey God rather than, than man. Right? It was really just a simple answer. They didn't even hesitate. We must do what God has called us to do, is their response. They knew they could trust their God. And for us, as we um, are walking through life and going about our days, as we're meeting opposition and as we're meeting um, persecution in its different forms, let us also know we can, we can trust our God too, right? We must obey God rather than men. The opinion of other people doesn't matter, right? What God has said, what he has commanded of us, that does. Those are important things. And they're for our good to submit ourselves to them, right? And so that's, that's kind of hard um, in, our, in our day and age to to really think about that, the idea of being persecuted and um, what that might mean, what we might lose. And so we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Uh, but I just, I love their boldness. And I think that's something we should take note of is how they never miss a beat in any of their interactions, right? Whether it be with the people ministering with these officials, they take every opportunity uh, to share the truth, to share the word with those around them. And that's what they proceed to do here. They're proclaiming the word even to the church officials. In verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed 
by hanging him on a tree. So they're saying, you were part of the story too. You just weren't a positive part of it, right? And it says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And, and then they say, we're witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those to obey him. So they just share the gospel with those, those very ones who want to kill them, who want to snuff them out and get rid of the growth of the church forever, right? Because these weren't just people who didn't like them. They were opposed to everything about them and what they stood for. And they, they didn't want it to go any further. And even then, the apostles had boldness, and they used that as an opportunity um, to share truth with them. And that's a major way um, that we can see um, God's power at work in them. <clears throat> and so just going back to that idea of, of suffering for a second, um, one thing I wanted to mention about the apostles that they're not doing is they're not just having a civil protest, right? They're not just being confrontational. They're not trying to get attention or make a headline or stand out, you know, in any kind of self-glorifying way. Not at all. That's not what they're doing, right? Um, so, so please note that. We, we see a lot of bad examples of standing up to the culture in our day and time, right? But this is a really good example of what it looks like. Um, our job as the people of God is not to make a scene, right? And that isn't what the apostles' aim was. Our job is to make much of Jesus, which is what they were doing, right? They, they were just doing what he called them to do. They were serving, ministering, interacting with people, proclaiming his kingdom uh, to those who would come to them. Um, and so that's not like what we see in a lot of worldly examples of, of what even Christian culture is, right? We're not just here on earth to be defiant, right? Or to, to stick it to the government or something like that, right? We're here to serve our God who is good, who is faithful, whose gospel is true, right? And who's called us to share it with the world around us. And that's what um, this dissension should look like in our day, just like it did here, right? We should, we should use um, those times when we do get attention to point not to ourselves, but point to Christ. And that's, that's exactly what we see among the apostles here. Um, they knew they had to get God's word to the people. They knew in their bones they had to obey him. And they were okay with the consequences. They were comfortable with what would happen next, right? And so they weren't looking for consequences. They were just comfortable with it. They were looking to be obedient. And I think that that should speak to us, right, in our day and time, right? Let us not even worry about some of the peripheral things or what would happen next. Let us just be concerned as God's people with being obedient to God's word. Let us submit ourselves to what he has, has said and who he has called us to be. Does this characterize us? Would you say you're like that? I would say a lot of times, even of myself, I don't want that kind of attention, right? I don't want to lose relationships. I don't want to um, be the focus of some news story or something, you know. Um, but at times, those things are the result of following Jesus, right? We might fall out of favor with our friend groups. We might be ostracized at work. We might have a sibling or a parent who doesn't speak to us anymore. Those are real things. Those are real consequences. And they're also really hard. And so I don't, I don't want to stand here and say that those consequences of following Christ are easy because they're, they're not, right? No, no Christian has had it easy. But if any of those things do happen, let them only happen 
because you're seeking to submit yourself to God's word and proclaim it as he has called you and I to do. And that's a powerful witness, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of us losing things that we care a lot about and should value. That's a powerful witness to the world around us, right? Who, who is more concerned with self and with excitement and with um, anything positive, right? Um, that, that's going to speak to a watching world. Uh, and this brings us to our third point. So uh, this is going to focus on God's power that's on display through the perseverance of his people. So 33 through 42. Um, you know, as we were just talking about, obedience is costly, and the reaction to it can be swift and it can be fierce. And it was for the apostles here. Right? It says um, in verse 33, when they heard this, what the apostles had just shared, right, which was the gospel, essentially, which was God's word. They were proclaiming it to them. When they heard that proclaimed word, they weren't excited to receive that, were they? It says they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. Just like so many times in the ministry of Jesus, this was people's response to what he had to say. Right? They didn't want to hear that. I mean, so you can just imagine this disgruntled room full of, of men at like a business meeting almost, you know, and temp- tempers flare. People get worked up. Um, they care a lot about what's being discussed. But then there's always one person in the room who's wiser than all the rest. And that's when um, Luke introduces Gamaliel here. It says he was a teacher of the law that was held in honor by all the people. And he stood up, gave orders for the apostles to go outside so they could, could talk about them, right? So there's something Presbytery-esque about this. If, you know, it's like a big business meeting, and, and when we want to deal with something, that's difficult. We'll often send anyone related to that topic, you know, just in the other room so we could have a discussion and then bring them in and include them at the appropriate time. And that's what they're doing here. Um, they they want to talk about what do we do with these people? Because 90% of the room wants to do away with them. Right. And so he tells them something different. He tells them an, al- an alternative that I, I think is, is wise. Right. He says, Keep away from these men, in verse 38. Keep away from them and leave them alone. And he, he goes on and talks about how he's, he's seen similar movements and similar leaders and similar followings happen over time, and they never end well. They fizzle out, right? The only thing that happens is you lose more, um, more people to different places. People move away. People scatter as a result of that movement, whatever it is, falling apart. And so he gives those examples, Right? And then in verse 38, he says, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so he issues a really helpful warning, I think, especially for a group of religious leaders, um, that they need to be careful about how they're interacting with this. They need to kind of wait and see, um, is this just another movement of personalities that need a cult following or is God really doing something and if he is you don't want to be on the wrong side of what he's doing and these officials right these religious leaders they would have definitely not wanted to be on the wrong side of what he was doing and they would not want to be found opposing God and so they took Gamaliel's advice <clears throat> and then they do something else so this last section is, is just so, so rich. So don't, don't miss these, these last few verses. And so when they called the apostles back inside, they didn't kill them. They beat them instead. 
And then they charged them one more time not to speak in the name of Jesus. They're like, don't do this again. We've told you twice now, this is the third time. Don't keep speaking and teaching in Jesus' name. And then they let them go. And that's the worst that happened to them, right? So far up to this point, all the different apostles, God is just preserving them, right? He's helping them persevere through all these challenges, not so that they'd be safe, but that so his word would be proclaimed and go forth to the ends of the world, right? And so you just keep seeing these pictures of how God is persevering his people for his own purposes, right? It's never just so that we'll be okay and we'll have an easy life or that we won't die. It's, it's so that God would, would get glory, so that his word would go forth, that people would know him. Um, that's why he's persevering us. That's why he keeps us. That's why we exist today as the church, right? He allows our church to grow and more people to come um, so that the gospel would go forward, right? He wants people in Winnebago County, for instance, to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and he's going to persevere us as a people, as a church, so that he can accomplish that here. That's, that's what God wants to do. Um, and that's true of any, any gospel-believing, Bible-proclaiming church that exists, right? That's what God is doing among those people. And that's what he's doing among us. And that's exciting, right? That should fuel so much excitement in our hearts that God would use us. Like, what's special about us? Not a lot, right, if you think about it. If we think about our own lives and the sin that um, clings too closely to us, so often, why would God want to use us? And it's because he's purchased us. He's made us his, right? He's called us to be the Lord's, just as he did the men and women at the beginning of our passage today. And so he wants to persevere us and keep us so that we could fulfill his purposes that others would know him. <clears throat> and so they, they beat the apostles and they send them away. And then it says this, it says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing and that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. That wasn't clear. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus, that the Christ is Jesus. And so even after all of that, they didn't leave and kind of wring their collars and say, well, that was close. You know, we almost didn't make it out of that situation. We should, should stop while we're ahead. No, they... We're even more excited, right? Because God protected them. He was helping them persevere for his purposes. And they saw that, right? They were in tune with what the Lord was doing among them. And I just want to ask, you know, are you in tune with that? Am I in tune with that this morning? With, with all that God is, with all that he wants to do, all the ways that he wants to use us in the mundane in and outs of our lives. Are we in tune with really what he's trying to accomplish? Even among us? today, right? Um, I'm just going to go back to Robert Kara for a moment, the commentator I mentioned. In his description of Acts, he also says this, he kind of concludes with this, that behind and orchestrating all of these, event, all of these events, all the things he mentioned, all the action-packed adventure, all the excitement, truly exciting things that God has done, is the triune God who is gathering and perfecting the church. And so all of these things, right, if you get nothing else from what we've talked about so far, all of these things, all the ways that God is showing his power to the world and to his people, this is all to gather and perfect the church, right? To have a people 
for himself. And not just the people for himself that are a ragtag group who are just struggling, right? He wants a perfected people. And he's making us perfect through what Christ has done on our behalf, right? We're being made like him as we live each day in obedience to him. And and let's not miss that. This is so much of what Acts is all about. This is what Scripture is about. The picture that we see of this covenant-keeping God who is gathering a people and perfecting them until one day we can all be together, right, with one another, perfected, giving glory to our God. And so if you are a Christian here today, this is your story, right? This is how your life should be characterized, right? God is doing something in you and among you. So, so don't miss it. Don't miss what he's doing. Don't miss the beauty of the gospel in the everyday. Maybe your life doesn't look like these signs and wonders, but the gospel does look like signs and wonders among us as children come to know and love Jesus, as we come to a deeper love and our families come to a deeper love and our communities come to a knowledge and a deeper love of him and who he is and what he's done. And so let's go out this morning in that mindset, right? That, that we get to go and proclaim the name to our communities. And so let's do that faithfully. Pray with me. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that the gospel is true. I thank you that you have opened so many of our eyes to, to see its beauty and richness and reality. Help us to be faithful to you, to be people who live out our changed identities in the world around us, proclaiming your gospel until you return. And I pray for those who may be here who don't know you or who um, have just not known you as closely for a while, Lord, that you would gather them to yourself, that you would give them eyes of faith, that you would change their hearts, and that you would use our church to help them on their journey. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.